Hey, everyone. Um, sorry, I like, just finished eating. It's in the past 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, so me, Michael, and Hannah have been kind of talking about um, the potential of trying to gather some of the worshipers in our community to have more focused time of worshiping together and uh, growing and equipping and uh, the heart of worship and also different gifts, like practical sides of things like lead worship or your instrument and helping people grow in that area. Um, I think during our first week, how many of you guys were at a worship night the first week of the new year? Yeah, it was epic. Um, I think during that week, I recognized like, wow, we got a lot of, there's such a resource here of like talented, amazing, anointed worship leaders. And um, we've also got like generations of worship leaders. And so, um, but oftentimes, personally, I don't see all of those people in the same room at one time. And so I was like, I wonder if there's a way we could unite everyone and just kind of rub shoulders a little bit and see what God would do in that space. And so, um, so in March sometime, we're going to be having a gathering. I want to clarify, this is for not just worship leaders, but we recognize a lot of people who are musicians or maybe just singers and don't feel comfortable in worship by themselves, um, but would like to be more involved with worship and don't know exactly what the next step is. This is what I'm talking about. So if that's you, um, I encourage you to come talk to me, Michael. Let us know in March. Sorry, I'm getting some feedback. Um, in March, we're going to be having a gathering and taking next steps with that. So, yeah, Michael, do you want to add to that? I actually think it's a bit all Yeah, just want to gather everyone. And I guess, yeah. Just to reiterate, because I think Jared said everything that I would want to say, but just we want everyone who would be interested in, in considers himself a worshiper or wants to be involved in, in this, um, just to just to come and to not maybe have a disqualifying thought in your head of, oh, I, I could never see myself as like leading sets or something. Like, that's not the goal. Like, let's just come, just come and let's worship together and gather. Um, because there's, there's more to worship than just like, you know, the typical worship leader or like leading sets. Like, there's all kinds of aspects where people can come together and, and, and lead at various, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm saying this correct, but yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, who do I pay the mic this? So, action sentence if you want to be involved in those gatherings and invited to those gatherings, please uh, communicate with Michael or Jared. Um, for the people you're supposed to communicate to about that, if you're interested in being a part of that? Michael and Jared. Michael and Jared, right? Uh, that's not Katie or Derek or me. That would be Michael and Jared, right? So if you need to get their numbers, you can do something else, but please uh, talk with them. Katie's going to talk a little bit about meal training. Um, oh, wow, witness. Hot. Awesome. Uh, Mike. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not used to that. Um, so we sent out this past week a meal training for Mike and Sierra Mother. Um, covering like the first six weeks of them being with their new babies. Um, I think we have about five covered in the next five weeks. So there's still a lot of open slots for that. The link to that is in 
the text that I sent you. And then to go with that, Mary and McCoy was sharing with me a couple months ago um, just her heart in regards to meal trains and some providing meals for other people as a way of serving and loving and supporting people in our community. And so I asked her if she'd be willing to share that with all of us. Yes, I can use the mic so I don't talk. Good morning. Um, Meal Train is a great ministry that anybody can be involved in. We saw blessings of the meal trains about six or seven years ago when my grandson was in the hospital for 31 days. And people provided, different people provided my son and daughter meals every single day when they were in the hospital except for two. And that was Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. That left them with not a worry while they were in the hospital with a very sick baby, to they didn't have to worry about they didn't have to worry about what meal, what they were going to have to eat that meal at night. And it was such a blessing to them. And the thing about it is we can minister to a family this, and it doesn't have to be difficult. Whatever you're fixing for your family for supper, just make a little bit more and bring it to them. Maybe you say, I am not a very good cook. I don't want to cook. I, you know, they have money to eat what I have. Kevin Martin has a deli. You can go and pick up fried chicken for a family, salad for a family, or you can call them and say, I'm going to send you a DoorDash or a meal from some restaurant, if that's what you want to do. That would be fine. It's just helping other people. And some of you, some of you moms and some others have had operations, have babies with COVID in the community the last year and people have been blessed by somebody just bringing me a ride. I have a lot enough of boys. <laughs> 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 just think about signing up and, and taking your yeah. meal to them. And like I said, singles, you can do it just as well as, as somebody that cooks every day. And we really would appreciate it. Yeah, please go ahead, Jason. No, no, no use the That's a very, very good point. Uh, people like dessert. People like treats, right? Right, Leland? People like treats. Yes. 
Um, kind of piggybacking off of what Marion said, and she shared that so beautifully and sweetly, and I appreciate that. But I also want to let it be known that I feel like when you were sharing with me, there was almost a sense of like righteous indignation um, of like we can love and serve and support people in this way, whether they're people that we really have really close relationship with or not. And that this is a ministry and a way of serving, not just like, oh, I love my friend, so I'm even my friend, they be all because I love them, and I would bring them a meal, and there's a ministry in my home. And what I heard from Marion a couple months ago was this, it, it felt to me like a holy anger almost. I, I, I mean, you probably don't want me to say that, but I feel like when you were sharing it with me, it felt very important and holy and weighty that there was this indignation in me like this is how we can serve and love other people in such a practical way and the desire of the power especially if you've ever received help through your training was something she also mentioned if you've ever received email from other people you know what a blessing that is and so even if that means you're stopping a coming up or you're ordering them pizza and getting it delivered to their house because the thought of delivering a pizza is just like so beyond what you feel like you can do um, I would just encourage everyone. Like the, we don't have a lot of practical service opportunities that we send out in a text message for our church that anyone can easily just like sign up and be like, oh, I don't serve enough, let me serve someone. And meal trains are like one of the only things that I feel like we do often that we say, hey, here's an opportunity to serve. So I just want to invite everyone to serve. Yes. If you don't have a way to get the meal to somebody, if you will contact say Katie, she can contact us and we'll be glad to pick it up and take it to them. Uh, we're glad to help you get it to them anyway you can. So, uh, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so meal train. I think Katie told me I know that this didn't cover all of the meals because I know a few people took it before we had it signed up, but I think we have 17 opportunities um, for stuff with my concern, like five meals or something like that. I know for my concern, you guys love them. Many of you guys are communicating outside of that. I'm just asking everybody if you can, please, let's try to make sure we respond to that. Let's help them right now. Um, has anybody else ever had twins? Becky, you did, right? Becky had twins. I can only tell you what I've learned from like our own experience and then walking with lots of other people as they have babies. How many of you uh, have the experience of being tired before? Right? Feel a little bit overwhelmed, right? And you're talking about you know, double the pleasure, double the fun uh, with, with twins. And so I think this is a great opportunity for us to, just in a really simple, practical way, deliver uh, service and it gives touch points for us just to let them know, you know, we're with you. Okay? Awesome. Loretta, come here. So, we're going to pray for Loretta here. Just a second, we're going to reach our hands up and pray for Loretta. Um, Loretta has been willing to step into a place of helping us coordinate the way that we, as a church family, want to serve kids. There are over 20 kids part of our church family now. And you see a lot of them running around here. And sometimes, to be very honest with you, I've talked with you guys, and it feels like, oh my gosh, on one hand, there's kids everywhere. So, can I actually have somebody do me a favor? Oh, here it is. 
I was telling this story last week, and people were like, I didn't know that story. Have you said that? Who was here and said, I didn't know the story of the black cat? How many of you know the story of the black cat? Just a couple of you. Here's this black cat, and I've had people say to me, What's going on with the kids? They're like wild banshees running around, carrying cats around, dragging people through the. And for a long time, and I'm just going to be very honest with you, this has been a place where I've tried to like pray, because I feel like sometimes I know that um, people have not been tweaked with me in this area. But we really had a desire, not just to find some place to throw the kids in a room, and even if it was good stuff that we were giving them, to remove them from the family room while we're worshiping and even during teaching time. We just that was not what we wanted to do, is to segment that away. I know that's been successful in churches for decades, but that one didn't feel like that fit in really what was in our heart. And so, also didn't necessarily want, you know, not the ability for a family to, I don't know, for some, some of you have said, hey, I just need a break to be able to, like, it's hard for me to be involved if I'm trying to ground my kids. But this black cat, this is an important part of us, and it's going to be an important part of how we think about this, right? Because this black cat was brought to us as an offering. Did you know that? This black cat was brought to us by a homeless guy by the name of Dave. We met Dave outside of Sweet Genie's, when there was an ice cream shop in town, after Angie had done a theater production there. And there was this really hopeless and depressed guy sitting out front. We met him, and he was... There's not a lot of homeless people that we meet in Grove City. But he was like really in despair. We met him, we met Darlene. And Dave encountered Jesus. And so Dave came in with a couple big plush toys because he had nothing to give, and he brought these because this is what he had to give as an offering. Dave is in heaven today. And we want the way that we think about this space, there's, there's really something to sacred space, but there's also, there's really something to spiritual family. And I have felt, I've had like some of the leaders and mentors in my life who've come and they've seen, there was a, there was a point in time whatever there would be trails of those uh, mats. We'd be leading, you know, we'd have them all stacked neatly there. By the end of the day, there, there was one week that Joey and W were here and Joey's like, look, the the mat is leaning right out the door. And he said, what would happen if kids grew up in the presence of God, understood spiritual family, and went out into the world equipped and ready to think about this in a different way? So I, we've been praying for a while what to do. And I got a chance to hear a while ago Loretta's heart to come alongside families. Part of that is what's inside of her heart in education. But it goes beyond just the fact that she has a teaching degree. It's the fact that she wanted to come alongside families to help partner with them to see those kids get raised up to be who God wanted them to be. And so she is not going to be the person doing everything. Watch your kid. I'm just kidding. She's not going to be the person doing everything. I know several of you have said, hey, I would be able to be involved in that. Action step right now is we're going to pray for Loretta because Loretta and I have been meeting and praying and tearfully talking through some things. 
Um, but if you would be willing, whether you're a parent, some of you as parents said, hey, I would be willing to take a turn in being involved in stuff with kids. And some of you have said, hey, this is really in my heart. We have right now, you know, we've got everything from tiny, tiny infants all the way up through, how old is, how old is Jack? Lila. Well, Lila is on a different age group. Lila is in a different age group now. And you know what? There have been people who have asked about that too. So, but we have, like, when I think about that, okay, we have this, we have this thing. And if we see it as a heavy burden, like, what are we going to do to fix this problem? We miss the point completely. If we can be a part of something that would both provide something that's, that's really healthy and helpful, for us when we're together, but even more important, that's empowering people, not just when we're together in a room. Because that makes sense? And that's what we want to see happen. We want to see our kids disciple, equipped, and released. I've said this a few times, but I feel like one of the most significant moments in our church history was whenever Dan and Steph baptized Silas. Because I realized whenever Silas asked his mom and dad if they would baptize him, that is just the beginning. Silas was the first baby born into our church family. And I feel like we have such an opportunity to come alongside families and help them steward these children that God has entrusted to them, to see them become everything they want to be. So if you are willing to help serve right now, we only have a few rhythms a month, right? We have this time. We have a worship time. We'll see what happens moving forward, but if you would be willing to serve right now and be a part of a solution to help us really love and steward kids, would you please communicate with Loretta? Okay? Now, would you all reach your hands out? Let's pray for Loretta. I feel like because this is more than just a ministry assignment for her, it's something she feels like it's deep in her heart, that she's really thought a lot and she cares, cares about this deeply. And we need to be praying for her. Right? So let's just take 30, 60 seconds right now. And you don't have to, you know, we're not going to everybody pray out loud, but let's just take 60 seconds and let's just all actively pray. Just begin to pray out loud. Let's just begin to release blessing over her, release prayer over her right now. Jesus, we need God. As we met in January together, we began to think about the children, not just in this room and not just in our families that would be impacted by this. We thought about uh, neighbor kids and we thought about other children that would play on soccer teams and be in school classes. And we want to be a part of partnering with God to see these kids raised to follow Jesus, right? So let's just bless her. And Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the yes of Loretta's heart. I thank you for the yes for others who said they want to be a part. God, there's decades of experience in this room. And I pray that as we seek to hear from you about how to pull this together, that in Jesus' name you would pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But God, we would know the right starting places. We wouldn't allow what we don't know to keep us from, from moving forward, but we would see clear next steps. Father, I pray as we begin to meet together with parents and begin to meet together with people who are willing to serve, God, would you give us ears to hear. 
God, we bless every one of these kids you've adjusted to us, and we pray for more. We pray that you would lead us, God, to, to hungry hearts and, and families that they are desperately needing the gospel, and that not only would our children be served well, but we pray that we pray for a harvest of little hearts in Grove City. As I pray, what Grove City? I thought, what would it look like to live in a city where every child in the school system was prayed for by name every week? And Father, we pray that this would be a small part of that thing. In Jesus' name. Now set us up well, Lord. And let Loretta remember that you are with her in this. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Just a couple more announcements before we slip into a little bit of worship, okay? Um, Monica is moved out of her apartment, and right now she's staying with us for a little bit. And there's some family, give you a, just a, a quick thing because there's some calls to action here on this as well. Um, Monica, after just watching her, like, you know, there was a while she was going to Dunkin' Donuts, she was getting up four in the morning, um, burning really hard, picking up every extra shift she could, and I just watched her burn out. And I watched that be a place that was really not healthy for her. So then she's like, I gotta quit that job and get a different job. Um, so there's a couple different things I'm going to let you guys know about. I'm asking you the contact person if you're willing to help in any of these areas. From a place of emotional health, physical health, mental health, and spiritual health, one of the things that I was so happy when Monica moved here, she said that she thought that a big part of why God was bringing her here was to be with family and to get rid of orphan thinking. And I don't know in all the years we've been here that anyone's ever spoken to me that clearly about why they were coming. As long as I've known Monica, which I met her online as a part of the Reflect Love Back community, Monica's had a lot of ups and downs, and Monica's always had a job. And I had to ask her after a couple of just really hard, she's working really hard burning out, saying, hey, can you hold off no more full-time jobs right now? We're praying either for a part-time job or, and she had in her heart that maybe several different people, whether it be businesses, individuals, or families within our community or adjacent to our community could hire Monica a few hours a week and maybe collectively. We don't know. I know, I know a few families have said, hey, I can do something like that. But one of the things we're recognizing for Monica right now is there's some really important things that need to happen in this place as she's pursuing health. And that was a conversation we had a couple weeks ago. She can kind of feel like in a place that she's failing because she's not able to have a full-time job and do all the things she wants to be able to do. But I'm really proud of her because she's recognized like that her life's worth fighting for and she wants to get healthy and be healthy. So if you, first of all, if you would be willing and feel like, hey, I do think there's some things we can hire her. She is a good worker and she's willing to work, okay? Um, she doesn't want to not work. Adrian and I are both recognizing her trying to do a full-time job right now feels like it's just going to lead us back into a cycle that's not going to really be healthy and helpful. Does that make sense? Not about Monica, but years ago we had a similar situation and someone said, oh, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's one thing the Bible says. I can lead you to a whole bunch of other things if you need help on that, okay? So this is a place of us, if we're going to like preach the gospel and make disciples, this is part of it. So this is not something I want you to feel like you need a special telegram from heaven to participate in. This is a part of biblical New Testament Christianity. Does that make sense? 
So that's one area. Second area is we have a couple families right now, and we're going to need more. We have a gap uh, from now until summertime, so probably June, July, or August. We don't know exactly yet when Monica's going to move into her next like more full-term living situation. So we have a few families right now who have said, hey, we're willing to host Monica in our house for a couple weeks or for a month. We actually think that's strategic. We actually feel like instead of finding one place for her to be for the next several months, we actually think it's strategic that God wants to, like, as we're praying, and I was praying and, like, saying, God, I don't really feel, until we get more details, like, I don't know how to go start recruiting help. And, like, I want to serve without trying to be the solution myself, right? And I kind of want to try to make things happen. And a family came over for dinner and said, hey, what's going on here? We just have this in our hearts. We'd like to host Monica for a few weeks. But here's what's going to have to happen, is whether you're somebody who feels like you can host her, like, there's just some practical things. Monica doesn't have a car, so there's going to be times whenever she needs rides. So this is an opportunity for us in a way that I feel. Would you mind coming standing here with me? Can I come stand next to you? Yeah. I'll stand next to you. Monica is not very tall. She's not very tall. But she's mighty. Monica comes to us, and it's, to me, a huge um, invitation and it's a weighty thing. When someone says, I don't have family, and what I've experienced with you guys is the closest thing I've got, and then it comes. That could seem like an obligation, but I actually think it's such an honor, and I mean, Monica is a blessing, period. But I think not just because she's short in stature, but she didn't come to us having everything together. She came to us saying, I'm coming for family and to see the orphan spirit worked out of my heart. Does that make sense? So please hear this in a way that honors Monica and calls us. Jesus said, as much as you've done it, do the least of these you've done it to me. And I pray that our hearts would be really aware that sometimes there are things that come up and it just feels like, man, are you kidding me? i got to help do this. And I don't know that people haven't expressed that to me about Monica. I'm just saying in life, no one likes to clean the toilets. No one wants to come and sweep things. No one wants to do all these different things. But there's something really beautiful in serving. And if we're going to pray and, and want to see some of the big dreams established out there, practicing things like giving people rides or making room for someone in your home is a great place to exercise faithfulness. Let's dwell in the land now. This is one way to do that. Does that make sense? So the call to action here is if you're willing to be a part of whether it's having Monica stay in your house for a few weeks or a month or something like that, let me know. Being a part of helping with rides and that kind of thing, let me know. Or if you feel like there's any place where you can help uh, with, like, if you have things around your house, you'd like to help have her come and uh, do some work in your house, okay? All right, Jerry, do you want to get ready for worship? We have one more announcement we're going to make. How many of you guys remember what we're praying for from Malawi? We have three things. Who remembers those three things? Anyone? See? Wow. Well? Yep, monthly we want to partner with Dixon. Dixon has five 
young men that he's mentored and is ready to send out. Okay, so let me give you an update. We were able to send money for the seed and for the food now. That money went out uh, in January, and that is there. Um, if you would like to participate in that, we still need, we need to make up a little bit of gap on that. We went ahead and sent them that money. There was a big need. We sent them that money. Just being really honest with you, um, giving on that part was down some. Okay? And so because of that, uh, like, there just came a place where we said, let's, let's go, let's leave this, this, this to them. However, um, after some of you, the reason why some of you was down there is some of you was like, man, I really want to give it to the well. So we still had a pretty big, like when we met last uh, January 1st, we still had a, we still needed a lot of money coming for that. But the Lord moved on someone's heart and that well is paid for and that money will be sent. So we have raised um, like almost $12,000 and sending to Malawi. So let's celebrate that, right? Praise the Lord. So as far as I know, the money got, uh, the big check got deposited and we'll be releasing that, those funds that will be going to Malawi here within the next week. We do have a need. We have about, from my understanding, we have about half of that $600 per month covered. Now, there's a couple calls to action here. One is, would you pray about committing something every month? It could be, listen, there were times whenever Adrian and I had, didn't have very much, and we were committing things like $10 a month because that's what we had in our hands. And I believe if you have a yes in your heart and you want to be able, this is not a place of me twisting your arm to make you do something. I'm saying, don't feel like your little bit is not enough to make a difference. Because your little bit put in with others, this is the, this is the way the gospel works, right? So, if you would like to be involved in giving to Malawi, we still have a need for about $300 a month that will send five full-time missionaries out making disciples and training farmers in Malawi. This is a significant opportunity for us to move from a place of like giving them seed and food every year to multiplying, sending laborers, sending workers, sending disciple makers out to go. So if you would like to be involved in that, please let me know. The other thing is Katie created a Google document where we have the names of the farmers that we are partnering with in Filetti. I would love to see every person in our church adopt one of those farmers. And if you have family prayer time at your house, you can pray for the farmers during your family prayer time. If you have quiet time in the morning, you can pray for that. You may say, what does that mean? Hey, these people, we're going to spend eternity with them. And if we ever forget that what we're doing is beyond just giving a little bit of, of, of money, like we are sowing into what God is doing in their life. And we believe that one day Filetti will have more than enough, not only for themselves, but for those around them. And my, my prayer is that Filetti would become a hub. That Filetti would become a place that not only are uh, people fed from there, but that people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from there. Okay? So we're not at the end with Malawi, but we're at a new beginning. Okay? So the call to action there is if you want to give on a monthly basis, okay, we just would say, hey, if you can commit $10 a month or $50 a month or whatever that amount is, please let us know. Okay? Your Bible is going to Nehemiah 4. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to ask that on Tuesday, uh, when we send out announcements this week, uh, Katie, make sure you get for me that word from Jim Kilmartin. 
Um, what I want to share this morning, uh, there's so much going on, and I know that uh, in this format that we're trying with the lunch, um, you know, we, in theory, we think, okay, we're going to do lunch, then we'll do like 10, 15 minutes of worship. The problem is we start worshiping. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? So I understand. Um, I'm going to do my very best to be focused today, so I'm going to let you know we're going to do, we're going to go through an old PowerPoint. I'm not going to do a lot of commenting on it, but I want you to see it. And I'll, I'll set it up in just a minute, and then we're going to read um, Nehemiah 4. But five, five things from Nehemiah 4. But um, just reflecting back over the last few months, I, I want to tell you just a couple things, because context is so important. Uh, in November, we were, as a family, we've been in that crazy season of traveling. We were driving on a Friday from Florida to North Carolina. And I got a phone call from uh, one of our friends from Texas named Darielle. Darielle was here last for Mike and Sierra's wedding. He was in the wedding. Darielle is a friend we met in 2011. And he is just a really solid dude. Love him and his family. And he called me and he said, Brad, I feel like God's put my heart to come visit you. And it's freaking me out because every time I feel like one of these moments, it's like life changing. And I was like, you know, it sounded really dramatic in, in that moment. Um, but Dariel is someone I really share a lot of heart with. And when I got off of that time, I just recognized that what we were saying um, in terms of really feeling like all the traveling we've been doing, that needed to change. Adrian and I had been feeling like God was leading us into a place of repentance of needing to really focus on, not just focusing on the geography of your city, but really doubling down on the relationships that people really would be called to walk with. And honestly, that was painful because um, in the last season, we really wanted to be able to do that without having lost any connection with, with people. And it was really hard, and I think that one of the things in the last couple of months I realized my heart's a lot of grieving, um, and just realizing this missed connection or um, Moments with kids in our community that I've just had very too few of, you know. And, and um, Dariel said to me, He's like, Well, let's just believe coming out of this year, coming into the next year, God's going to show us the timing. And so it was from that conversation I really started praying into recognizing if, if we were going to um, really see for us as a family and believing also as, you know, beyond just our, our, our physical family. If there was going to be this shift, like what could we do coming out of Christmas and the New Year's to prepare for that? I just feel like we're supposed to have these times of worship. And so we had nine nights of worship starting New Year's Eve and going through the 8th. Um, and when Katie and I were talking about that, we thought we wanted at least one night where instead of being in people's houses, we would be here so we could invite anybody who wanted to come. And we, we talked about just in that season, that idea of calibrate, recalibrate, and cultivate. So that Saturday night, Jared was leading, and uh, I walked in just to prepare. I was going to do like the intro of the night, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw some people walk in that I didn't quite recognize, and Jared says, you know those people? And I looked back, I said, I don't think so. And Jared said, well, they know you, and I realized, is this guy Jim Kilmer? So some of you guys have met Blaze, or I said about Alexi, um, who've been around since this last month, some at Simple Church, have been around for different things. Um, Jim was here with his daughter, Blaze, who's playing basketball. And Jim used to be a student at Grove City back in the 90s. And he is, I, I first heard of Jim the very first day that I met Jim Irv way back in 2002. Because 
he had been, I was leading a youth center in Elwood City, and Jim had been working at a youth center in, over in the center of the state. And uh, so I've known about this guy for a long time. As far as I know, I've only met him one other time, like 15 years ago. But we've, we've communicated, and I have a lot of love and respect for him, and now I'm planning a church in Altoona. And um, he came up, and we started talking, and I said, well, hey, we're going to worship. And I said, he told me you can stay the whole time. I said, well, we're going to worship. We're going to worship 20 or 30 minutes. And if you feel like the Lord is speaking anything, I just want to make space for that. And so after we've been worshiping for a little while, Jim came and he shared, and we're going to send out, it's probably about 15 minutes, but Jim had a very significant word for us. So when we were here on January 1st, we were talking a little bit, we mostly worshiped, but we were talking a little bit about things that were happening in transition. I went to work on Monday, and on Tuesday I was released from my job at Southeast Asia Prayer Center, and, and man, I felt like there was such a sense both of, of uh, release to do the things that we felt really called to, and also like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. But when I was sitting with Matt and, and um, Jess, who were Matt's the president of SABC, and we're working through what we feel like God's doing, and, and I felt the same thing in my heart, and it was time for us to really focus on what God had called to do here, also do here. Um, I was kind of surprised by one detail. He said, okay, you are working through January 7th, which was that Saturday that Chip came in. And that's kind of weird because, like, we don't usually work on Saturdays. <laughs> but, like, for every day, that was the day that they picked that I would be done working. And so that night, when Jim came in, and he said, I feel like the Lord is speaking from Nehemiah, specifically chapter 4. That was really significant to me because between Tuesday and Saturday, as we're spending time with the Lord, and I'm processing what's happening, I said, well, God, how did I get on that team at SABC to start with? And the Lord led me back to 2018 and 2019. 2018, toward the end of the year, we called as a family, and with our church family, we began to pray and ask people to intercede with us. And we went through a place of really believing God was speaking some stuff about transition. And in 2019, we started the year, probably in February, March, really leaning into teaching verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. And so what I'm going to show you is the, I'm going to show you the keynote from the last message that we preached before our friend Jerry passed away suddenly. It was actually on a Sunday morning that Jerry went to heaven. It was one of the most awkward services I've ever been a part of because people are showing up here as we're having an emergency. Like we just got a call right before that Jerry had passed away. And so we're like praying for resurrection, waiting to hear what's going on. Crystal's in the process of driving out there. We have visitors here. I, I walked up to my guys. This is probably going to be a pretty strange time. And I explained what was going on. But like I recognized that God had had us in Nehemiah. And then after that, we're just trying to be present with each other. We never went back. And so we got through Nehemiah chapter 3. So on January 7th, this guy Jim shows up and he says, Hey, God has a message for you from Nehemiah 4. So if you can just walk with me for the next few minutes, we're just going to go back and look at some of these slides. I'm not going to try to comment everything. I actually left a couple of the announcement slides in here just for some memories. We were talking about worship in the Grove. We were going to have a special night uh, in, in July. This is in April. We were really planning ahead. Uh, it was the first time we were bringing back. Bringing back worship in the Grove. And then we were talking about family gathering. Look at that little boy. I was in Doug and Jamie's backyard at the 4th of July. <laughs> oh, man. We were praying for St. Mark's Place. 
That's Mike and Brother Stephen. <laughs> and this kid that got healed, yeah. Stephen, no shirt. I just went really quick. Stephen was so nervous to be with us that day because he thought he was going to be a distraction. And so he was like, I'm probably not going to pray with you guys. I'm just going to find park bitch to sit up. He's like, bro, you can completely be with us. And we got this amazing parking spot. He got up to hold the parking spot. And here's Stephen, like, I don't want to be a distraction. I come back, he's got his shirt off. I'm thinking, Stephen, do you think it would be less distraction with your shirt off? I don't know. All right. We're going to walk through this pretty quick, guys. We were talking about who we're called to be and this crazy thing of the mission we have, disciple, equip, and release sons and daughters of the king to impact every sphere of society for the glory of God. We talked about our vision of following Jesus together to be a family that followed Jesus together and what that looked like. These are things that were bubbling in our hearts a few years ago. And we started in the Nehemiah, cooperating in God's great work. What is God's great work? What is on his heart? How do we cooperate? I don't know if you guys have ever been in a place where you have lost consciousness of the fact that God has a story that he's trying to tell. Can you say, my story? My story. Let's do that one more time. Everybody this time, ready? My story. My story. Our story. Our story. His story. His story. We often can get caught up in one part of that without recognizing the other parts of that. So there's a place where we cooperate with God individually and then also together. And this place of cooperating with God and with each other is important. We talked about a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And that word co-worker is the word synergos. What word do you think we get from that, that Greek word? Synergy. What is synergy? Flowing together, right? So there's something whenever we are cooperating with each other and with God that we have access to that we don't have access to on our own. So here were the three original questions we were asking in Nehemiah, okay? One is, what is God doing? Two, what is my part? Three, what is our part together? Okay? First question, what is God doing? Second question, what is my part? Third question, what is our part together? That makes sense? We're moving on, right? Here we go. So we talked about through, this was a review, so we talked about, I'm not going to go into all this, but if you've read Nehemiah 1 through 4, like in the same year, you'll see there's places where as Nehemiah is encountering the awareness of what's happening in Jerusalem, he begins, as he learns about it, he begins to move into a heart of intercession. His heart was broken because of the distress and despair that was happening to the people of God in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is serving as a cupbearer at the courts of the king. And so we were just talking about what informs our intercession. We are called to see God and then to see together with Him. And there's a place that I really believe that as God has been speaking and stirring our, our community into prayer. And a lot of the collective times we had together at the beginning of last year, we spent a lot of time focusing on prayer. What does it mean to see God? One thing I would desire to the Lord, that I seek, to behold you and to inquire in your temple. There's a place of as we see God, it also informs us to how to pray with God. We also saw in Nehemiah this idea of what God had put in his heart. It was in his heart to go and restore. Guys, listen to me for a second. There are some of us waiting on commandments from God, and he's actually trying to get us to cultivate what's in our heart. 
There is a place, and we've talked about this before, we all outgrow obedience. If God speaks, then we obey. But God is not just looking for people who are waiting for orders. He's looking for people who will give to them their whole hearts. And as that happens, we begin to understand the value of our hearts. We begin to understand the value that he has placed things inside of us. What, what is God, Loretta, what had Loretta, as we were praying, like, today? Because there's something touching on her heart. Right? It's not just like, okay, here's a task. It's there's something connected in her heart level. And what is in your heart matters. What's in our collective hearts matters. So we talked about intercession, and we talked about this place of what was in Nehemiah's heart. And then we, we see, as we move into chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 3, we see this idea of favor in the few. And about, again, there's a lot of good teaching on this, and maybe we'll go back into it. Luke and I spent some time on this earlier this week. Just the idea of in the light of the king's face, there is life. And one of the things as a cupbearer that Nehemiah had to do is he had to go in before the presence of the king. Are you guys with me? No, we've had lunch. Are you guys, you guys together? Yeah. We all right? All right, because everybody remember, what happens whenever you go in front of the king? What does the king need to do in order for you to live? He's got to extend the scepter. In the light of the king's face is life. In his favor, there's like a cloud of latter rain. It was very important that when you went before the king, you obtained favor. So Nehemiah is heartbroken, and he goes before the king to do his job, and the king says, I've never seen your face like this before. You must be troubled of heart. But because Nehemiah had a relationship with the king, he had, he had a rhythm of regularly being in front of the king, there was relationship, and the favor of the, favor of the king's face led to favor and grace that was on Nehemiah's life to do the thing that God had put in his heart. If you read through that story, you'll find that as Nehemiah obtains favor from this king, he then begins to ask the king and say, well, hey, can you give me the permits that I need to get from here to Jerusalem safely? Yes. Okay, could you give me a letter to the guy who's the keeper of the, of the national parks to bring me all the timber I'm going to need to rebuild the wall? Yes. And so there's a favor of God's face we, we seek by sp spending time with the king, and then we understand that at the right time, there's a place where we step in what Nehemiah said, God's good hands upon me. So there's a favor of his face and a favor of his hand. You understand that? The words favor and grace are interchangeable in most of the New Testament. So there's an idea of God's divine empowerment. If we misunderstand grace, and a lot of us have like a, a, a preschool understanding of grace, we think about unmerited favor. It's true, but it's just the beginning of grace. Really, the word in the New Testament specifically for grace about divine empowerment. And there's a divine empowerment that happens as we spend time in the presence of the king, looking at his face. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace as we spend face time with God. We obtain the favor of his face. That's not why we do it. We do it because it was his idea. He said, seek my face. So your face we will seek, right? So Nehemiah leverages favor with God to find favor with man. And in Nehemiah 2, he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And there are things that flowed out of that. I said to the God of heaven and I said to the king. I prayed to heaven and I said to the king. So there's the favor of his hand. And as we move into the next chapter, into chapter 3, we find that Nehemiah didn't go around telling everybody what was happening, but he found a few people who would see the wall with him, who would see the thing that God had put in his heart. 
Rosalie was my heart was to rebuild the wall. What is in your heart? What is the thing that God has established in us together? Understanding Jerusalem is a city. We know from verse or from chapter one that, that there was gaps in the wall. That there was the gates were burned. That it was a place of despair and distress. So this thing in Nehemiah's heart was to go and see the wall rebuilt. So the first thing he does is go and see the wall. And he does it in a place that nobody's watching. He goes in the middle of the night and he starts viewing the wall. I want to encourage us back into this. There's things that need to happen in the secret place. Are you guys with me? Are you with me? This is important. We're going to try to go through this as quickly as we can, but I don't want to just go through emotion here. This is too important. There's things that God has dropped into your spirit, into our spirit. And for some of them, it may feel like vision for ministry. For some of it's vision for your family or vision for your business. But the place that we start cultivating that thing is often in the secret place. It's in a place that is not out for everybody. I think one thing that happens sometimes in prophetic um, cultures when we're immature is we hear from the Lord and we immediately start talking about it. If we start talking about it, we feel like, I heard this from God, it must be now. And really there's, like, it's just way more common in the New Testament and even the Old Testament for God to release something that takes a long time to cultivate that and to grow it. And if we would learn to cultivate it in a secret place, then I think we would see more things brought to full turn and delivered healthily. You hear me? Come on. Nehemiah and a few went and viewed the wall. He talked about what God had put in his heart. So he talks about the culture of the few. So ready? If you're taking any notes, this is a couple of good things to take down. Culture of the few begins in secret. What has God put in your heart? It begins in secret. The culture of the few creates possibility. What is it that, that you're believing God for? I'm looking around and seeing some of you in the room and you've shared with me some of the stuff that's in your heart. It's important stuff. Don't carry it alone. Find a few people who can walk it out with you. Find a few. Cultivate trust. Share your journey. That makes take them with you. Now, in order for this to happen, we can't live self-centered. Because we live self-centered, everybody can try to find their few to do their thing. But also this means being vulnerable to what's in somebody else's heart. What if that's not my thing? Can we humble ourselves to support what's in Gabby's heart? Can we come alongside of what's something maybe that's not my thing? But, I, but let me listen. In family, I, one of the things I used to watch my mom and dad do is we all went to each other's stuff. So whenever it was my basketball game, I thought, well, yes, you could come watch my basketball game. But that also meant for my sister's softball games, I was one of their softball games. Because we did that to support each other. That doesn't mean that everyone everywhere has to do everything. That would be really unhealthy. But can you find a new place to invite some people to what you're carrying in your heart? And then would you have a posture that you're willing to step out of something that maybe you don't feel like is intentionally your thing, but maybe the people that are carrying that, that's what's in their heart. And you belong together with that. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, cool. Nehemiah knew the value of the wall, so he carried it quietly in his heart. The context of this was they were in exile. Right? They are for generations in exile. Nehemiah is positioned with purpose as a cupbearer and a king. This king, in some ways, represents almost like the enemy. He is responsible for the exile of the people. And he is positioned there in front of them. 
But Nehemiah knew the promises about Jerusalem. So believing in the promise and keeping what God had deposited in him. When we know context helps us understand the story. Knowing the context helps us endure the struggle. Knowing the context helps us discern God's timing. And the last one, knowing God's, or knowing context helps us keep focus. Right? I'm asking a lot. You guys with me? Okay, we're, we're moving quick. We need context. We need focus. Because the difference between patience and passivity is purpose. Okay, intentionality. So we're cultivated in secret what our lives are put on display for the world. You got a loop? Yeah. Cultivating secrets. This is the power of context. See the wall. All right. We learn to see in the same. Nehemiah is quoted, then I said, so you see in the stress, you see the ruin, you see the struggle. And then there's an invitation, come, let's build. It's the context. All right, guys, here we go. Some couple old pictures. Ready? Didn't put the videos in for time's sake. This is the old AOX logo. <laughs> There you go, got that purple. Thank you, Carl Cathedral. Mission statement. Disciple equipment release sons and daughters of the king to influence every sphere of society for the glory of God. Following Jesus together. God spoke about this thing called a hub. Guys, it's almost 10 years ago, coming up this month, that God gave us this building. Paid off. A couple dozen young 20-somethings. I think we're in our 30s and Jim and Jan. God gave us this building. We had a vision that there would be a hub that would serve as a prayer mission base for the region. That we would support students and spiritual family. That we would serve what was happening in the region. And God made a provision. And then we had this thought that before it could become a hub where we're sending people out, that it needs to become a home. So we talked a lot about community at the beginning and then God began to adjust our language because community for the sake of community can become a trap. We live for ourselves. And God's not wanting us to live for ourselves. But we didn't talk about family. So this idea, we talked, we, we spent time talking. I'm not going to do it today again for the sake of time. But why we have this crazy name called Antioch Overflow Experiment? But there's history in those names. There's history in each one of those words. It's supposed to be a place of prayer and mission. A prayer and mission place. And then understanding part of that meant adjusting what our expectations would be to make room for healthy marriages and families to, to function. That there would be part of what we were doing that was about raising up and sending out, and then part of what we were doing was about cultivating a soil that could allow healthy things to grow. This is what we were, this was the context, this is what we were trying to steward and trying to carry. So we learned to see and sing, we learned to see, hey, there's, there's a value in what we're casting vision for. Uh, maybe we can send a link out to this video, um, Katie. There's a video, a hand-drawn video from the beginning. You can kind of hear some of the first things we were saying. Some old pictures of what things used to look like as we were in the beginning years. I love this picture of <laughs> Katie and Jesse and Ben and Mike on the way to Malawi. Exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> but the night before he had dreads. That's the, that's the big thing. The night before this, Ben had dreads. That, that all went away. 
So, disciple with book release, same, same heart, fewer words, be ascending family. Find a few and invite them to see with you. Invite them to join with you in building what God swung with you. There are things in Jerry's heart. He's talked to me about them. Hopefully this is going to be repeated as he's starting to share a little bit about some of the stuff that's in his heart. What is God doing in your heart? Let us arise and build. At the beginning, it can be difficult to articulate. Listen to this, guys. It's important. We're almost done with this. Ready? At the beginning, we can try to wait for the perfect words to describe what we're trying to do. It can be difficult to articulate the impossible thing that God's impossible. Don't wait. Find a few. Trip over your words. Struggle together. Talk it out. So you can walk out. Learn to see and say. See the wall. Learn to see and stay. Learn to see and stay focused. Stay focused on what's in front of you, on the next steps in the struggle until the end. This is the call to action. Read Nehemiah 2 or 4. What is God's great work? How do I cooperate? Know what's in your heart. Because of what's in your heart, grow the favor of his face. Walk by the favor of his hand. Find a few. Learn to see. Follow through. And then our friend went to heaven. We took a step back, not because the work wasn't important, but we took a step back because we lost our breath. And we walked through more tragedy. But in this last season, God has been encouraging and reminding. There was a night on Thursday night of that first week of January, we were at Michael and Hannah's house, and I listened as Hannah called for us to share testimonies. I listened to people begin to describe the thing that God was doing. There's been prophetic where all of a sudden, guys, you know, in this last season, I've been you know, walking with God and hearing from the Lord and all this stuff. In this last season, there's been people for the month of January, like people I haven't talked to in years, calling up and saying, hey, I have a word for you. Hey, God says it's time to rewind. God says it's time to return. So, guys, I'm just really honest. Like, in what I'm sharing today, I believe a lot of it's like personal, but I don't, like, it's not about me. I think there's something God's calling us into in the word that we received from Jim as we were trying to calibrate, recalibrate, and cultivate, the word we received that night was a word that focuses to Nehemiah 4. And so what I just wanted to do is walk through five things in Nehemiah 4. I'm not going to try to teach you or preach it, but I ever have to ask questions. I want you to ask these questions, basically five things in this chapter. Because I think this is an opportunity for us to decide what we're going to do. So, Nehemiah 4, let's, let's get there. Here we go. Verse 1, but it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were be rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brothers and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt? The beginning of what Jim was sharing with us, Jim Tomart was sharing with us on that, that night in January, he said, God has had many moves of the Spirit in this region. And there are burnt stones that God was waiting to revive. Whenever I've read and focused 
on this. I want us to write down what are the what are the places in my life or even the people around me that are burnt stones that God wants to revive. This is one of five things I want us to come away from this thinking. So if you need to write it down, please write it down. Because this, I think, is important for us to ask personally. He accuses these burnt stones of being rubbish. He's making fun of them. But whenever I've been reading this, I've, I've sensed that like the same kind of thing, even though this is coming from the enemy of God, from, from Tobias and from Sam Ballot, right? He's saying, well, they revived these burnt stones. It kind of has reminded me of whenever I've been praying about it, of when God is speaking to Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, and he said, hey, son of man, can these bones live? We're not trying to go backwards in time. Hear me. This is not about going backwards in time, but there are things that have felt burnt out and burnt up in our own hearts that God wants to revive. There are people and friends that have walked through things and it's trying to take them out, and God wants to revive them, and we need to come to a place of, of, of faith whenever God asks Ezekiel that. He says, Ezekiel said, you alone know, Lord. And, and then the, and the Spirit said to him, so prophesy to the wind. And I think that we need to begin to pray, God, we're going to begin to pray into the burnout places in our hearts. Some of you have walked through pain. You've walked through disappointment. You've walked through weariness. We're not going to pretend that any of that stuff hasn't happened. But to get before the Lord and begin to contend with the Lord, God, what does it look like for you to revive the burnt stones in my own heart? Does that make sense? What does it look like for you to revive burnt stones? People who have walked through previous moves of God and they feel burnt out or burnt up. How do we begin to have faith to see those things restored? Are you with me? The first thing, God, revive the burnt stones. God, will you revive the burnt stones? Number two, let's keep reading in verse number four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity nor let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they, for, you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So he built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now pay attention with, with me real quick. This is important to know because we're not getting back into chapter 3. But the main strategy of chapter 3 was for everybody to build what was in front of their own house. And I want to say that for some of you, you felt like, man, I feel like I've been in this away, or in this desert place by myself, but I feel like what God has been showing me, for some of you that may be true, but there's also a lot of you who've been building the things in front of your own house. And you have been like growing in that area. But there came a place in Nehemiah 4 where they stopped that strategy and began to connect together. And it says that the entire wall was built together halfway up. Next verse. Verse 7, now it happened when Sambalat and Tobias, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So here's something that's number two. Where do we see gaps in the wall? How do we close the gaps in the wall? I'm going to submit, we don't start out by seeing the gaps in somebody else's wall. We start out saying, God, where's gaps in front of my house? Where are things that I can be responsible for? So we can begin to, to move to close the gaps. Okay? Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you, like the Lord has been speaking to me about gaps in my life. And as we're beginning to, to have a re, like reconnect with people, have some hard conversations, it's been painful. But God is 
allowing us to close gaps that have been coming over the last few years. So you seek the Lord know what that means for you. Okay? Third one. Verse number nine. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Alright guys, this is the third one and this may be the one that I think is most poignant right now. Everybody, hang on for like 10 more minutes. Here we go, you ready? With me? There's a difference between what God wants to revive and what He wants to get rid of. There was a place where it said that the, the, the laborers were failing because of the rubbish. Have you ever noticed the clutter in your life can zap all the energy and strength from you? And there's some things that we don't know whether to hold on to and ask God to revive them or whether we can remove them. And I feel like I had a conversation with my mom one night. We've been reading this here on a Sunday, and she was talking about this place of rubbish. We've been going through in our house. We decided months ago that this winter we were going to go through and start purging things out of the storage room. And we're getting rid of boxes of stuff that we used to think was valuable. And there are some things that we should hold on to because they have meaning for the, for the future. There are some mem remembrance stones that, that have a place moving forward. But there are some things that we need to leave behind. There are some things that are ruins, not remembrance stones. And asking God to help us see the rubbish that we don't want to carry with us as we go forward. How many of you have had a season, okay, where you recognize that feeling of you, your, your strength has been zapped? Because of the trash and the garbage and the stuff that's around you, you don't even know how to move. Right? I see a lot of this. No. This takes some energy. And this out, in a way, I think this almost feels like a speed bump. Like I can't go as fast as I want, but if we'll stop and take care of getting rid of some things that we don't need to take forward with us, it will allow us to live a, a life where we can walk in strength and do what God has put in our, in our hearts. Okay? So, Sometimes rubbish is things that maybe never should have been around, but oftentimes rubbish are things that have a value in a different season that don't belong now. Abby used to have tons of cute baby clothes, and we're keeping a few of those for her future kids one day, but like, we're not keeping her entire wardrobe up till now. That's not necessary. We're giving those things away. Does that make sense? So what used to have a purpose, what used to be new technology is no longer new technology. And so we got to get rid of the rubbish, right? We good? All right. Skip down to verse number 13. Therefore, I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Know how you are positioned. And there's like a couple things here I just want to encourage you with. In the story of Nehemiah, there's at least three different types of action that people are positioned in. We had some who were builders. And those who were builders in this time of attack, they built with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. There are other people, all they did is they carried around swords and spears and shields. And there's at least one dude who had a trumpet. So everybody had, not everybody had the same exact position. But something here that is, that is even deeper is they were positioned in the Lord and for each other. So 
Guys, I know we're landing this plane. We're trying to just to give you like six more minutes, right? Listen, knowing how we're positioning is not just about myself. There is a place that I have to understand my personal position, but I also understand that I start out from a place of being loved. My position is not striving to get my, my wall built so I can have value. I start out as a place, and even if I have nothing to offer, even if I feel like, man, I don't even have anything, I start out from a place I am fully loved and valued. And I also start, out, also start out from a position of family. It's very telling to me. He positioned them according to their families. He said, remember the Lord your God and fight for your brothers, your sisters, or your brothers and your fathers, your, your wives, your daughters, and your, and your sisters. No one gets left out. No one gets left out. So we are positioned for function, but we're also positioned for family. Okay? You there? All right. Full disclosure, full disclaimer, this particular season was not sustainable. We're going to read just the last two verses that we're going to pray. But in this season, which was only a few months, this was their schedule. They woke up with the sun and they worked until the stars came out. And then they took turns on the night watch, guarding the city. I've been asking the Lord, the things you're asking me to do right now in this season, and maybe not what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but in this season of seeking the Lord, closing the gaps, is there something you want us to do? Last, last question, last, last one of these five things. Look at the last two verses here. Which would be verse 22. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be a guard by night and work party by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men on guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So there's two... Jesse was very astute when I was reading this first verse. She's like, I don't know what that means, what you think it means. So I've, I've tried to research this out. There's two different places that the scriptures translated. One talks about taking off for washing or for purifying. The other one talks about taking off to go get water. I personally want to keep my clothes off if I want to get drink water, but here are the things as I was praying about this. In the midst of a season of work, in the midst of a season of coming together, there has to be space to be refreshed, I've been asking the Lord in my life in a, in a fresh way that purify my heart. Are there attitudes? Are there resentments? Are there things I've been carrying with me? Are there disappointments? Sometimes that's toward God. Sometimes that's toward myself. Sometimes that's toward other people. But I really believe there's something here as we've heard from this friend who's pointed us to Nehemiah 4, here are a few of the words that he just shared with us. He said, at the end of his time, he said, here's what's important for you. Keep going. Complete the work. Build the wall. Keep going. Complete the work. Build the wall. We moved from North Carolina in 2002, and immediately we started having people come to Western Pennsylvania to see us and pray with us and some kind of work with us. I'm glad Jamie Joyce here today, because she lived with us. But we were running a shoe center, and 
At that time, when people would come from North Carolina to Western Pennsylvania, they would, they would cross over, usually down by Washington, and they would say, hey, I just feel like this heaviness that's here. And I was like, man, I don't want the testimony of the region I live in to be spiritual darkness and heaviness. So we were praying one day, and I saw a picture of these angels. Now, angels look all kind of different ways in the Bible, but there's a few places where they call them strong angels. Or the big angels, or the tall angels, right? And I just felt like I had a picture of, I was, I was standing in this youth center that Jesse and Adrian and I used, or Jesse, Jamie, Adrian and I used to volunteer at work at. And I saw these angels over Elwood City, and they had these big sticks like this, and they were just going, and they were worshiping, and as they were doing this, whenever they hit the ground, the ground reverberated. And when they went up in the air, it poked a little hole in that thick and I began to think, what's going on? And so we began, we were working with these teenagers, most of them off the street, and we started having these things on Friday night, and we were sharing the gospel, and we started having after parties for the people who were volunteering, and we would just pray and worship. Usually Jamie's mom would call about one in the morning and say, is my daughter with you? Because Jamie would have fallen asleep in a prayer room, right? But what we noticed was, we were praying and worshiping, and all of a sudden, that was changing the atmosphere in the center. And what we noticed, and we started doing that more and more, is the more we prayed and worship, the more the gospel spread. As I saw this picture, I think, when we moved to Grove City, and we said, God was in your heart, see a spiritual family function of prayer missions, there's a lot. Just believing not that we're supposed to necessarily be 24-7, Every, there would be people in here with a guitar and I'll be working every day, but there would be people who would live out a lifestyle prayer, worship, following Jesus and the mission of, of God. One of the weird things that happened to me this last month is I got a call on Thursday that there was this guy coming into the region who wanted to see me. And he brought me this this morning. And this is for, he said he felt like the Lord, this guy's from, um, Lancaster, and he's walked all across America, and multiple times he's walked across America, and he said, I feel like this is for Western Pennsylvania, specifically there's something in Erie, and I'm not going to get into all the stories, but like, the place that Erie is, is held for us is, when we first moved to Pennsylvania, way back in that time, we saw a picture from Morgantown, West Virginia, to Erie, Pennsylvania, and from around Kent State to Clary, and Kent College, Hopkins. Those campfires represented places of people praying and worshiping, and out of that, the gospel spread. This guy drove up to my house this morning to get this. And as he did, I just thought, like, man, I've gone through a lot of time not having any of these kind of weird occurrences of people walking off the street or people giving me sticks or stuff on it. Where's my stick? You know? I can appreciate the symbolism, but it's like this is not necessarily my style to be like, hey, collecting oh, yeah, right. sticks. <laughs> I did, I gave him an arrow this morning, right? Oh, That's like, yeah. But I want us to stand and pray together to finish this time because you guys just all stand with me. In a way that feels both really, really simple and also very, very deep and profound. I feel like the encouragement of like finishing the thing that God has started 
I know it's something for me personally that I'm asking how to steward, but I also believe that we made decisions 12 years ago when we were beginning this church community that we would go faster alone, that we would go further together. And everybody's not here. Some have been sent out, some are in heaven, and some have felt led to move on. But I would really like to encourage everyone who will put those questions in the, in the text of us week. If there's something God's trying to speak and invite us into from Nehemiah 4, could we take a breath and listen? Could we lean in again? This is a place that I think has collective importance. This is a place that has a personal importance for each one of us. The burnt stones are not just things external to us. There are things in our own hearts. There's places that God wants to revive and refresh. The rubbish is not just stuff that needs to get thrown away from the attic of the hub. It's stuff that God wants to remove from our life. He wants to heal our hearts. And this book starts out with a statement of distress and despair, but at the end of the book, there's a place where they're having a celebration after the walls are complete. It said that the sound of the noise that arose from the city could be heard in towns far away. This is not about Antioch overflow and spirit. I don't even believe it's about Grove City. It's about us being faithful with us in our heart. I believe that each one of us has a part to play. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for restoring us. God, as you've called us to buy oil, as you've called us to nurture places of prayer and worship, as you've called us as a community to foster family and create places where sons and daughters can grow up and be arrows in the hands of a good father. As you've called us to go after hungry hearts and to live on mission together even whenever it doesn't seem like it's working out well. God, we don't want to give up. We don't want to walk by sight and mistake that for faith. But would you stir in our hearts, even in the place, God, that it costs to send people out, a fresh, a refreshing of your spirit, God, in us, that you collectively, God, as we lean into this passage of these five things, these five questions, that we can hear from you and make space to figure out how we take steps together. God, protect us from trying to over-spiritualize anything that's not spiritual. But God, I pray that we would not miss anything that your spirit said. Would you pray that for yourself? We don't want to over-spiritualize anything. But we don't want to miss one thing from him. So put us in the air. Just put your glory in us. We delight in being part of your spirit. Thank you for loving us and inviting us. We bless you now. Strengthen our church family. God, I pray specifically for those who are not here today. God, through our gym, as he's with the, the family, the, the funeral. God, I pray that you would be with him. I think Susan as she prepares to travel home. God, for others and for Mike and Sierra, God, I just pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen your people. We love you, God. 